Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and we are so happy to have you with us here tonight. And we just uh, are looking forward to this uh, teaching tonight. I've got a lot of interesting things for you. I will be doing considerable amount of reading because I have a surprise for some of you people, the things that I want to read for you. And um, it's just going to be a big... Uh, batch of good and interesting things. So here I am, Jerry Lee, standing in for the Manifester, and um, so happy to share these things uh, that are so important. Tonight, the message, Contrary Winds. Contrary Winds, um, what a subject. You know, <clears throat> as a person looks out there on the frontage roads of the world. As a person observes the ups and the downs, the comings and the goings of the nations, of the people of the nations, of the governments, of the people that are the main street, businesses and ongoing entrepreneurs, and the people who are in the church world, it is a time of contrary winds. And the people who are to be believers need to understand what that means. Need to, need to understand how to deal with it. How do you deal with contrary winds? And has anyone ever in the Bible had to deal with contrary winds? I should not have to answer that to you. You should know, of course, that would be true. <clears throat> there are records of incredible endurances that people have made in the name of God for the sake of God and even that people have made for the sake of others. Contrary winds. Turn with me to the book of Acts chapter 27 and we will begin reading in the very first verse. And believe me, this is quite uh, a, a writing of Paul but he's actually telling a literal experience that he had. So it starts off reading in the very first, um, very first chapter and the very first verse, and it says, And when it was determined that we should sail unto Italy, they delivered Paul and certain other prisoners unto one named Julius, a centurion of the Augustus band. Now, that isn't exactly the greatest moment. Not exactly the greatest moment for Paul to have had to go through. It um, obviously was a difficult time. And it had been determined from all the appearances that David had made before other kinds of majesties, kings, and authorities that he should go to Rome and plead his case. And it was determined for that to be the case. So Paul was bound up in a determination of circumstances. Now that is our first opening of a contrary wind. A contrary wind, believe me, to most human beings, to most mortals, because they would not want to be a prisoner. 
because they would not want to be under the guard of a top centurion soldier because they would not want to think that their destination was continuous prison continuous prison and then after that prison there may be uh, a failure of his appeal and if a failure of his appeal then death those were contrary winds and they were blowing on those days in the life of Paul and it says in second verse entering the ship entering the ship and this is an an interesting word, a dramatium. And these are names, as we read them, of ships, of people, of, of seas, and of cities. So entering into the ship of a dramatium, we launched meaning to sail by the coast of Asia. One, and this, this is the name of a person, Aristarchus. Aristarchus and a Macedonian of Thessalonica being with us. Now there were a collection of all kinds of assorted people on this ship. <clears throat> In fact, as you will see later, there was a total of 276 persons on this ship. It was obviously a fairly good sized ship. But even in the, those days as they made those ships, probably a fairly crowded ship. 276 souls on that ship. And it was determined. Have you ever come to places in your life that there were things determined? Determined by the government that you didn't agree with? Determined by a president or a premier that you didn't agree with? determined by other nations that you didn't agree with, determined by your husband <clears throat> or your wife or your children that you didn't agree, agree with. Contrary winds, contrary winds blowing in your life, upon your life, not fun sometimes, causes anxiety, causes fear, causes inner, inner excitement and dread. <clears throat> Well, it was determined, and they delivered Paul to that centurion. And they got on the ship, and it was launched. And their intention was to sail by the coast, as it says in verse 2 of chapter 28 of Acts. And they were going to sail by the coast of, of Asia. Verse 3, And the next day we touched Sidon, and Julius courteously intrigued Paul and gave him liberty to go into his friends to refresh himself. What I find very interesting and intriguing in this story that we're going to be reading and speaking about in Acts is that all along this coast trip, there seemed to be a way that people were able to find out where the ship was, and the message was able to somehow get around. And Paul seemed to have people that was known to him, and they wanted to meet with him. 
And normally, a prisoner doesn't have a lot of liberties. Normally, a prisoner would not be allowed to meet with friends for fear that they might enable him to escape. Normally, this situation would never happen, especially with the determination that was made at the other end. But we find as we, we read on that this centurion was specially acceptable, or had a special acceptance, I should say, of Paul. He, he took to him. He was intrigued by him. And Paul was given this liberty to go to his friends to refresh himself. Perhaps these are some of the times that Paul wrote some of the, the gospel writs that he did. And then he didn't ex- try to escape. He actually felt different than most people did about a situation like this. He didn't feel that these determinations and his imprisonment were contrary winds. He felt that this was his his right and his opportunity to bring the gospel to the Gentiles, to bring the gospel to the Roman magistrates, to bring the gospel to every single person that he would bump into, run into, be involved with on this ship's journey. And that was his idea. That is a different kind of idea than most people have when contrary winds are blowing. But that was Paul's idea. And we know that there was a a prophet in Jerusalem that came to him and said, Oh, Paul, don't go to Jerusalem. If you do, this is what they're going to do to you. They're going to bind you. They're going to put you in prison. And Paul says, I am ready to be bound. I am ready to go to prison for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Some people would have taken those warnings and said, well, this prophet was speaking by the Holy Ghost. This prophet was saying, don't go. And we're going to have to obey the word of God. We're going to have to obey this word. You have to understand that when the word of God speaks, there are three different levels of it. You have to understand that when the word of God speaks, there is a division between the mount of blessing and the mount of cursings. There is a parallel of lines. You have to understand this. If you don't understand this, you will never completely understand the Bible, the Word of God. And Paul chose that day not to listen to this prophet's word as applying it to himself. He wasn't critical of it. He didn't say, look, this isn't of God. I don't believe this prophecy. He just says, yes, I understand those things will probably happen to me, and I am prepared for them to happen. And what could they say? All they could say is, well, it's your choice. And that's how it is, ladies and gentlemen. That's how it is, people. It's your choice. You have to decide a lot of things about the determinations that have been made in your business, in your home, in your city, in your country. And these determinations can be very binding, can seem very 
complicated and insidious to you and can work you up, could cause fear or could cause anger. You have to decide what to do with these determinations. Are they going to be contrary winds to you? Are they going to tumble you, turn you upside down, blow you out into a drift at sea? Will you be lost in the maze and the, the mass of, of this great blowing turbulence? This particular wind that was the contrary wind that we'll read about in a little bit was an eastern wind that would drive upon the sea, causing the waves to thrust and rage of bellowings. Very difficult to sail in such conditions of the sea. Well, Paul, because of his attitude, it obviously was known to the centurion. He had been given a list of instructions. And he well understood that Paul had set in his mind, in his heart, to go to Rome. And that he wasn't about to try to escape. He had incorporated this into his ministry, into his life, into his willingness of life. And the centurion understood that and admired him for it. In verse 4, And when we had launched from thence, when we left behind that stop where he had met with his friends, where he had made history, where I'm sure that there were things written that should have been written telling the story, we sailed under Cyprus because the winds were contrary. And here's the title of our teaching here tonight. The winds were contrary. Because if the winds were contrary, it caused them to change the whole direction to be, that they were going to go. They sailed under Cyprus because the winds were contrary. Sometimes when circumstances... Sometimes treacherous circumstances avails. A person has to meet that with a certain amount of not only discerning of the spirits, but a certain amount of intelligence. And a little bit of fact doesn't hurt a thing. So, sometimes you may have to change plans a little bit. Don't get yourself into such a hole of your grace that you can't even get yourself out of the sides of it. Grace is for you, but it has no intentions for you to plunge into any direction or any depth that you think that you want to go or, or, or challenge because you have that gift of grace being offered to you. Many of these things that God gives are conditional and unconditional. Just like the blessings and the cursings. All right. Now, we can go to um, verse um, 
verse 5. And when we have sailed to Nidus, and when we had sailed to Nidus, we're in the fifth verse, and when we had sailed into Nidus and Pamphylia, we came to Myra, a city of Lycia, or as the Italians would pronounce it and the Greeks, Lycia. Okay, we've got a whole list of all these little towns and little places, and Paul has really made a record here. What a record keeper this man is. And there the centurion found a ship of Alexandra. Alexandria. Can you imagine uh, a man such as Alexander, who was so powerful that he influenced the names of ships and cities, like Alexandria, Egypt. And anyway, they found this ship sailing to Italy. And that's where he was headed, because Rome was in Italy. And he put us therein. Now this was the decision of the centurion of the prisoners. And when we had sailed slowly many days, and scarce sailed slowly many days, and scarce were come over against Nidus, the winds not suffering us, the winds not suffering us, we sailed under Crete over against Salmoni. Now, there are times, ladies and gentlemen, when contrary winds will not allow you to go directly against their force. Because if you do, it's going to tear the ship apart. It's going to ruin the journey. It's going to destroy lives. So, just because you are a Christian, just because you have faith, that doesn't mean that every opportunity you should be one of these risk persons who just say, hey, I've got God on my side. I'm not afraid of that. I'm not afraid of this. God expects us to use sanity. We have been given that as part of our beautiful bodies, which include beautiful minds, if we will just allow them to function that way. Now, we can skip down a little bit because this is such a long, long reading. It is, it's got so much in it. Verse 9, And when much time was spent, and when sailing was now dangerous, because the fast was now already past, Paul admonished them, and said unto them, verse 10, Sirs, I perceive that this voyage will be with hurt and much damage, not only of lading and ship, but also of our lives. We don't know how many other people sensed that. But we know there was one man who was not just thinking of himself, 
He was thinking of the whole enterprise. The ship that was to be responsible for getting him from one place to another. The people and their lives. And he had a an intuitiveness, a spiritual discerning that they were under a serious threat of not only the ship being destroyed, but the lives being lost. And he warned them of this. Nevertheless, the centurion believed the master and the owner of the ship more than those things which were spoken of by Paul. Now here is where sometimes science and the spirit conflict. And you have contrary winds. You have science saying certain things and giving all kinds of mathematical analogies, analogies and all kinds of, of uh, differential uh, concepts of the whys, the hows, and the ifs. And it can be very believable. And many times, the scientific view does not sound like the spirit view. Because the ship owner, who had no doubt sailed these seas many times, who no doubt knew every aspect of how that ship of his was built, of its capabilities, its strengths, he had a different view. And the centurion believed him over Paul. There are some very capable people out there that make decisions. But in the natural, many of the things that they say have a lot of application. But when the Spirit intercedes and the Spirit says something entirely 360 degrees different. What do we do? Well, you have to understand the Spirit. You have to understand that the Spirit looks at things from the other world and sees things that no mortal can see and knows things that no mortal knows. So when you are reading the Bible, when you are coming into these scriptures and manifest realization is brought forth as interpretations of these scriptures, and when we are dealing with contextual scriptural interpretation, and not just the singularity of a word, or of a verse, or of a chapter, or of a selected book among the books of the Bible, but when we are dealing by the contextuality of the entire whole Bible, which includes every word, every verse, every chapter, every book, and collectively puts this all together and meshes it into a spiritual realization, then you have something that is not going to sound like just what the common word reads. 
you have something that is based on a spiritual interpretation. We're not talking about the translation of the, the of the the human words. Hey, before those words were translated, they needed to be interpreted. It doesn't matter what language that the Bible is is written in, whether it's the very original language that 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 wrote it or not. All of those languages have to be interpreted. But people think that when they get some language that's been transliterated into into another tongue, that the big thing is they have to just get that perfectly translated in their tongue to words that are equal to the words in that language that it is being translated from. That is only the beginning, ladies and gentlemen. You have people out there arguing over those things, defending over those things, and ready to kill over those kind of uh, things. But the fact of the matter is, every one of those words, regardless of what language it's written in, need to be interpreted. And there are literal interpretations, there are physical interpretations, cultural interpretations, and there are spiritual interpretations. <clears throat> we use the word spirit as aligned with the idea of, of spiritual. <clears throat> okay. So here we go. <clears throat> All right. Um, as we, we look at this scripture... As we, we think about this scripture, and as we are talking here, reading it in English from a translation of Greek, we have to realize that there are interpretations here. Interpretations by the Spirit. And in verse 9, as I started to read, and when much time was spent, the ship captain understood he had to go very slow and he was using a lot of time not planned because it was very very dangerous where they were now sailing <clears throat> and in verse 10 Paul as I read to you already perceived of this dangerous voyage, that there could be damage to the ship and many lives lost. And then, verse 11, I read to you, but the centurion believed what believed what the shipmaster said. And because, verse 12, the haven was not commodious to winter in the more part advised to depart thence also. <clears throat> if by any means they might obtain to Phoenicia and there to winter, which is an haven of Crete and lie toward the southwest and northwest. Paul was wanting them to stop, but it didn't have a convenient 
place to stop in the minds of those people. Didn't have any entertainment centers. Didn't have any plush motels, plus plush places. But what it did offer, if they would stop there, is that they would be alive. They could wait out the contrary winds. They could wait out the storm. <coughs> wow. Why do people sometimes decide to take an anti for the sake of luxury? Why do people decide sometimes that they just will not accept? They will not accept having to stop in a place that is not comfortable to them, is not to their liking, and they will risk their lives instead. And they make a determination. <coughs> A determination for comfort, a determination for for luxury. And they risk their lives to do that. To Paul, those kind of decisions were contrary winds. But to those people, they were not contrary. They were comforting winds. Their idea of being able to stop somewhere and have the facilities that they wanted to have was a comforting thought to them. And that's what they went for at the risk of their lives. <coughs> All right. Here we go. Let's sort of let's sort of look at this and let's skip down to verse fourteen. But not long after there arose against it a tempestuous wind. Now, this tempestuous wind is not just any wind. Um, it is a wind that is a an eastern wind. And it, as I had told you this earlier, it is one that just drives upon the waters of the sea, causing it to thrust into wave, to rage of billowing waves. So, it's, it's quite a thing to consider uh, to be into something of such contrary uh, condition and contrary state. And the the name of that of that wind was Eurokludon, Eurokludon, and depending on whether you use the Italian accent or the Greek accent, and it is interesting that this wind is almost like it's almost like a devil. It's almost, almost like the force is dark. But then, every time something happens in nature, there is also what we call things that occur 
that are natural. And we call those impeditions. They are impeditions. They impede you, but they happen in nature, like earthquakes, like volcanoes, like storms. But we cannot ever say that that storms cannot be affected by spirits. <clears throat> because we remember when Jesus was on the little ship in the Sea of Galilee. And the disciples were very afraid because of the um, terrible winds that were blowing. And Jesus stood up and talked to the winds and told them to settle down, and they did. So it is always, therefore, possible that a contrary wind is not just an impetition, but that a contrary wind is... Uh, a condition spirited by a force. But we have to be careful every time a storm happens that we don't think that it's been spirited by a force because that would not be too different than the barbarians who believed that the gods had everything to do with the weather and the crops and everything else. But we cannot say that they were 100% in air. Because we know just from the thing that, that Jesus did that it is impossible, that it is not impossible for weather to be influenced by human beings, by spirits, by forces good, by forces dark. So, they go on, on their journey, and... Um, They had been um, fasting. And I think they had fasted for something like 14 days. And um, it wasn't solving any problems. There are people that have the idea that when a contrary wind begins to blow in their life, that if they fast and put themselves in sunny, you know, into gunny sacks, throw a little ashes upon themselves, few ashes upon themselves, that they um, can somehow by those actions affect things. But here a whole bunch of people were fasting, including Paul. And it was not doing the job the way that they wanted it to be done. The, the winds were still there. The contrary winds were still there. The problems and risk of danger and of their lives and of the ship was still there. The Bible says that sometimes people ask for something to be done and it doesn't happen because they ask, they ask a mist. They missed the way to ask, the how to ask, the why to ask. And as a result, nothing occurred. And Paul after 14 days, realized this isn't the answer. And he said, listen to me, I want to exhort you to be of good cheer. And probably someone would say to him, what kind of a nut are you? We're here, out here in the sea, these waves are the dangerous, most dangerous that we've ever seen. 
this storm, this contrary wind is threatening our lives. We've been fasting. And you're telling us to be of good cheer? You see, that was contrary to the contrary winds and the contrary minds and the contrary ideas and the contrary interpretations and the contrary fears that those people had. And sometimes when I get up and I'm telling people about peace and I'm preaching about that we don't have to just be overcome with all the threats that are out there and that are being um, delivered to us every day in uh, the news world and, and by preachers that are telling us that the end is right here at our thumbnail. And I'm telling people, you know, be of good cheer. You know, the peace of the Lord be with you. And some people just don't like that. Some people have a problem with someone saying be of, of good cheer. And they think they must be crazy. They must be false. But I'm going to tell you that the glad tidings were not about anything else but being glad and, and, and good news. That's all they were ever said to be. And Paul said, be of good cheer. Wow. <laughs> be of good cheer. For there shall be no loss of any man's life among you but of the ship. Because he had a word. He had received a word. He wasn't just up there uh, in babble and blabbery. He had received a word and he was not afraid to get up and speak it. Some people receive a word and they're afraid to speak it. I could put on the greatest revelation that, that was ever spoken if God so permitted me and write it out in a blog. And you know that there would be people and there are people that are afraid to come on and comment and say this is great. This, this has baptized me in, in, in revelation. They're like they're afraid to get on. They don't want, they're afraid to be numbered with such a revelation that seems to be different than some other people are saying. We have to stop being afraid. We have to stop living in fear. Because that is an evidence that you do not have perfect love. Because the Bible says perfect love casts out all fear. And when you receive a word from God, and God tells you these things, then you can tell people, hey, be of good cheer. No one is going to lose their life. Only the ship is going to be lost. For there stood by me, 23rd verse of the 27th chapter of Acts, there stood by me this night the angel of God. The angel of God, whose I am and whom I serve. Now, what was he talking about when he says, the angel of God, of God, whose I am? He said, the angel of God who I belong to? And that I served this angel? Well, he was talking about the angel of his presence. The angel of his presence rose up within him and had by the Spirit received the word, Spirit to Spirit. Spirit of the angel to the Holy Spirit. 
Because there are things that in the flesh that we cannot do. That's why the Bible tells us in Corinthians that those people that receive the Holy Spirit and begin to speak in all the different kinds of tongues, tongues of nations, unknown tongues, tongues of angels, that there is a place in those tongues that, that your spirit within you can travail for you. And you won't understand what it is saying because it is travailing for you by the Spirit in a way that you don't know how to travail, travail in the flesh. Like when they did these days of fasting and these days of, of urgent prayer. It didn't work. But when Paul went into the Spirit and this angel of his Spirit began to travail, then instantly he had an answer and he could get up and he could stand there and say, hey, be of good cheer. Not one of you people are going to die from this. Every one of you will live. And then he went on in 24th verse, he says, Fear not. Fear not, Paul. He's telling what the angel said. Thou must be brought before Caesar. And lo, God hath given thee all them that sail with thee. Now, there was a prophecy. There was a prophecy in Jerusalem by Augustus, or Argabus, Argabus, who was a, a known and accepted prophet of the church. Argabus gave this prophecy, and he gave it by, by the Spirit, by the Word of God. And it said, don't go. Don't go, Paul. Now we have an angel, the angel of, the, of, of his Spirit, that began to reveal to him that he should not fear, because thou must be brought before Caesar. So this seems like a conflict, like two different messages. But in the parallel word of the thirty, sixty, hundredfold, there are mountains, there are mountains of bondage, and there are mountains of liberty, and there those mountains are both mountains that the children of Israel were told they had to march between and through. And they did. And those mountains are out there. Those parallels are out there, ladies and gentlemen. And sometimes you will have to, to go, to march, to walk through those valleys. Like David when he says, Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will not be afraid, I will not fear, for thy rod and thy staff will comfort me. It is so important to understand these things that I'm telling you today. So important. Fear not, Paul, for you must be brought before Caesar. It was part of God's plan. But Paul did not have to make that choice. It was the permissive will of God for him to not make it if he so chose. But he did make it. And then the angel said, Thou must go and appear before Caesar. Caesar, this great, powerful champion of the mighty armies of Rome. Paul would go and bring a message before him. <laughs> of the revelation of Jesus. And that's not all, Paul. 
Lo, God has given you all of them that sail with thee. You know what he's saying? There's 275 other persons besides yourself. And, and this word that you are going to bring, and they know, they know you're on the way to see Caesar. You are not only being a witness to the centurion now, but also to the, to the master of the ship and to all of the sailors and all of the prisoners and all of the other people. And he says, Lo, God hath given thee all of them. <laughs> I hope you understand what this is saying. In one fill swipe, in one moment, with his determined actions, with his going against the contrary winds with another kind of winds of peace, all of these people were told by to him that they they were already in his camp. And when the fourteenth night was come, we were driven up and down in Adria about midnight. The shipmen deemed that they drew near to some country. And they sounded. And first it was twenty phantoms. They sounded a little further. And they found it was fifteen phantoms. They're getting closer to shore. Sometimes when you're out there a hundred phantoms deep, and you're a long way from shore. It doesn't seem possible for any hope. But by the Spirit of God, by the Spirit-to-Spirit -spirit manifest realization, there are things that can be shown, there are things that can be given that can change the world. You keep checking the phantoms. Fifty phantoms. Forty phantoms, thirty phantoms, twenty phantoms, fifteen phantoms. You're coming in. You're coming in. <clears throat> they are so close to land that the rocks from the shore go way out, and they fear, in verse 29, they should jam into those rocks. And they cast four anchors. Four is an interesting number. It's, it's like a number that sometimes is symbolic of the four corners of the earth, of the four winds of the earth, of the four kinds of people, the four rivers of the whole world that is called the earth. And they cast four anchors out of the stern, and they wished for day. It's like that song, If you wish a on a star <laughs> you wish you make a wish there's nothing wrong with making a wish because it's like having a hope and they wish for day they were tired of the night they were tired of the storm they were tired of the contrary winds verse 30 and the shipmen were about to flee out of the ship and when they had let down the boat into the, the ship under color as though they would have cast anchors out of the foreship. And Paul said to the centurion and to the soldiers, except these abide in the ship, you cannot be saved. Now, it seems contrary. It seems that these people have already been given and they were told they're going to be saved. 
And so these people just want to get out of there. But there's a condition to it. If you leave the ship now, you cannot be saved. This is not the way it's to be done. There is a spiritual revelation on how to exit. Well, you know what? The soldiers, the centurion, they believed Paul. And they cut off the ropes of the boat and let the boat fall down. Can you imagine that? One of the ways of escape? In order to stop people from getting into it and, and escaping? What a wild thing that would be. How contrary of any kind of, of sense that that would seem to make. That would just seem to be absolutely idiotic. What a contrary wind that Paul was putting out to what seemed to be sensical to a lot of those people and what they felt that they should do. But the soldiers had reached a point and the centurion had reached a point that they believed the word of Paul. <clears throat> and they cut the ropes and let the boat just fall on down into the sea. Wow. Wow. And while the day was coming on, Paul besought them to all take meat, saying, This is the fourteenth day that you have carried and continued fasting and have taken nothing. Wherefore, I pray you, take some meat, for this is for your health. Some of you people that go into these extreme spiritual travails, be sure you know what you're doing. Be sure it is of God, and that you are not doing something that's later going to damage your health. I know people that have fasted and ended up hurting their gallbladders and having to have their gallbladders taken out. I tell you, be sure you know what you're doing when you are following the, the instructions that you think are from God. Be sure you have a witness to that in the mouth of two or three witnesses. Will God confirm every word? <clears throat> Paul said, for your health you need to eat. For there shall not a hair fall from the head of any of you, if you listen to what we're, I'm telling you. And when he had thus spoken, he took bread and gave thanks to God in the presence of them all. <laughs> and when he had broken, he began to eat. Paul told them what they should do, and then he decided to be contrary to what all of them had, had thought, and it hoped would maybe be the act that would save them, and he began to eat. And when they saw him eating, <laughs> when they saw him eating, they began to eat also. And they were in, and and they that were in the ship, two hundred three score and sixteen souls. That's two hundred and seventy six persons. And when it was day. They knew not the land, but they discovered a certain creek with a shore into which, uh, into the which they were minded, if it were possible to thrust in the ship. And when they had taken up the anchors, they committed themselves unto the sea, loosed the rudder bands. You see, it was not meant for them to get down into that location where they were at, where they had put the anchors. They would have probably all lost their lives as well as the ship had they done that. But they, needed to move the ship, and they found this, this creek. Now, they had already been told they were going to lose the ship, but their lives would be spared. So they went toward that, that creek, and they moved the ship to do that. And when they had taken up the anchors, 
it says they committed themselves to that. And they loosed the, the, the rudder bands and hoisted up the mainsail to the wind and made toward the shore. You can't just sit on your doolittle and do nothing. There's work when once the, God, the plan of God has been revealed. There is work. You're going to have to pull up the anchors. Some of those things that you think you, can, you don't want to change. You're, at, you're okay just where you're at. You're still alive. You're going to have to pull those anchors up. Some of those old ideas. Some of those contrary ideas. Some of those associations. Some of those determinations. They're anchors that will keep you straddled in a, safe, in, a, in a not safe place and will ultimately bring about your separation from God or your demise. Pull up those anchors. It's time the Word of God has spoken. The angel's spirit-to-spirit revelation has spoken. The apostle Paul has spoken. Pull up those anchors, ladies and gentlemen, and commit yourself to the sea. And loose the rudder bands and hoist up the main sail to the wind and make toward the shore. Wow. And falling into a place, and get a hold of this, where two seas met. They ran the ship aground. Of all the places in the world, of all of the unusual circumstances in the world, of all the confluences from two different streams of rushing, gushing waters to meet and the place where they met. That was where, at that time, on that day, that Paul and these other 275 persons were. They went into this place where two seas met. You have to understand that in your life, these parallels are always there. And the day will come to you where you will meet those two seas. The sea that belongs to the peaceful things of God and the sea that belongs to the tares. And I'm saying T-E-R-R-O-R-S. And you have to get through that. Ladies and gentlemen, you have to get through it. You can't just crawl into a hole somewhere on the ship because that ship is going to go down. You stay on the ship, you'll not be saved. Wow. And the ship stuck fast in that little stream entry there where the two seas met and the force from those two seas that was rushing together tore off the hindermost part of the ship broke it right off with the waves and when the soldiers saw what a dire situation it was they the, the, they counseled to kill the prisoners which would have included Paul At least any of them should swim out and escape but the centurion willing to save Paul, kept them from their purpose and commanded 
that they which could swim should cast themselves first into the sea and get the, to land, and the rest, some on boards, some on broken pieces of the ship. And so it came to pass that they escaped all safe to land. Sometimes you've got to swim for it. And sometimes if you're not to the place where you're, where you're, where you should be, where you've got the capability to facilitate yourself and swim to safety, then you've got to grab hold of any floating board or debris that you have to that will hold you. And then kick paddle with your, with your feet. And move one of your hands and work your way toward the shore, floating on the pieces of the ship. If the ship had not come apart, those people that could not swim would have not had anything to hold on to to make it to shore. But God counted the people above the value of the ship. And had the rear part of it torn apart. So the debris was scattered by those two seas. And yet even on that debris, people's lives were saved and they all made it. And in the 44th verse, and the rest, some on boards and some on broken pieces of the ship. And so it came to pass that they escaped all safe to land. And I, I got to finish this story because it's an incredible story. Chapter 28. And when they had escaped, and when they had escaped, they came, they came to an island. And this, this island had been prepared for them. This island was called Malaita, Malaita. The accent on Mel, Mel, Ita. And verse 2, and a barbarous people, a barbarous people lived there. Whoa. But they were very kind. They said they didn't just show them a little bit of kindness. And they kindled a fire and received us, everyone, because of the present rain and because of the cold. Wow. And when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and laid them on the fire, there came a viper out of the heat and fastened on his hand. Now, a viper, just so you can know, is a heavy-bodied, broad-head snake with hollow, tubular fangs, very venomous, very poison. And sometimes in the Bible, it's used to describe a treacherous person. And so, even though they had made it to the land, even though they had gone through the hell of those contrary winds, and of the, the crossing and the meeting of those two seas, and the ship had been splintered apart, there at the very place that they were warming themselves, and take note, if you will, that there's no one else that it seems to indicate gave a hang or a care about keeping the fire going. But Paul 
is out there gathering sticks to warm the people and sticks to keep the fire going. He's bringing sticks into the fire to keep it going. And close to that area where the fire was, probably a fire that was being used by those natives, there was a place that a snake had found, a viper, and had hidden himself, maybe under some some dirt and stones, and, and um, was being able to keep warm because it was very cold. And they're cold-blooded animals. And when Paul dropped the sticks and laid them on the fire, I shouldn't say dropped them, laid them on the fire. I mean, he does everything carefully and articulately, doesn't he? What a man of God. And out of the heat, a viper attacked him on his hand and fastened on his hand. Now, the only way a viper could fasten on his hand would be with his his teeth, his fangs. So that means the viper hooked, bit him on the hand and hooked his fangs into his hands. And these natives who were familiar with those kind of, 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 of snakes knew how venomous that this snake was and knew, because they could see it with their own eyes, that this snake had bitten him and, 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 and had put his fangs into him and was attached to his hand. And when the barbar- barbarians saw this venomous beast hanging on his hand, because Paul lifted up his hand, and the snake was attached to it by the fangs, the fangs, the teeth of this, of this poison snake. The fangs, these hollow fangs, are what the poison, the venom, comes through into the body. And it's hanging on his hand. And they said among themselves, no doubt, this man is a murderer, whom though he has escaped the sea, yet vengeance suffereth not to live. Now this is the way that people judge people. People make up stories. People see something. And based on what they see, they make a conclusion. They create a determination. And many, many, a spiritual person who is working the works of God has been condemned, has been accused, has been has been uh, uh, charged with false accusations, all based on what seems to be probable, but is not stood understood by the Spirit. It can look like somebody is a sinner. It can look like somebody has done wrong. It can seem like that person has committed sins. But rumors are of the devil. And when Paul did not die, when Paul did not die, and he shook the snake off of his hand, and he had to use some pretty great force there for the things to come loose, and he shook the snake out of his hand, wow, the people began to change their mind. These barbarians began to change the mind. And now they said, my 
My, this man is a god. <laughs> He's, he was switched from being a murderous, vile person, condemned to die, to just by the power of God being able to shake off that serpent, confessed by these people to be a, to be a god. Now, they were beginning to have faith in this man just like the 275 other people that were on the ship. And they were there too, you know. They were watching all of this. <laughs> wow. Sometimes, ladies and gentlemen, the beast nature will grab hold of you. The beast nature of lust, it'll grab hold of you. And it'll put poison in you if you'll allow it. If you just allow it to hang on to you, it's a contrary wind to everything that is righteous, to everything that is good, that it, to everything that is just, to everything that is beautiful. And it will poison you, make you sick, and kill you if you can't shake it loose by the Spirit of God. And that's the message that's out there today to people. People that are fighting these contrary, contrary winds of their mind. They're fighting mind wars with their own self. And God is calling and dealing with those kind of people. Dealing with you, ladies and gentlemen. To overcome, because you can overcome. To shake loose the venomous beast, because you can do that. If you will it, if you are determined, if you trust, if you believe, shake it loose and toss that beast right back into the fire. And that's what Paul did in the, four, the fifth chapter, the twenty-eighth chapter, fifth verse. And he shook off the beast into the fire, and he had no harm. And they looked, and when he should have been swollen or fallen down dead suddenly, because that's how poison that snake was, and the, these natives would know, these barbarians would know. But afterwards, they looked a great while. They waited, kept waiting for him to die. I'm sure I've got people out there waiting for me to die or waiting for me to have something to happen to me. Really, people get upset sometimes about my message. They get upset about my life. And they're waiting for me to die or they're waiting for some tragedy to come on me or some judgment to come on me. And I keep shaking off those snakes into the fire. And I keep on keeping on. And more and more revelation keeps coming. And more and more word keeps coming. And people have, have waited a great while. I had people prophesying and dreaming years ago that I would die. And when my wife would hear it, she'd say, Oh, Jerry, what does that mean? I said, It doesn't mean nothing. I'm not going to die. I'm going to live. I've got a work to do. It doesn't mean nothing. Pay no attention. And that's what she did. She paid no attention. And I'm still here, 72 years plus, and going strong. Blessed be the name of God. I shook that snake into the fire. And every time he comes, I'll shake him into the fire again. And I'll say, burn, baby, burn. He's not much of a baby, but he's a devil baby. <laughs> Couldn't help capturing that little article of repeat. Okay, in the same quarters were possessions of the chief man of the island. And this fellow 
the chief man, um, he had no doubt as being a, also a barbarian. He had power to make decisions. And he no doubt was the one that made the decision that uh, those um, uh, people from the ship could even come and stay there. And God put that down as a merit to him. And it came to pass that the father of Puclius lay sick of a fever and a bloody flux, to whom Paul entered in and prayed and laid his hands on him and healed him. And when this was done, others also which had diseases in the island came and were healed, who also honored us with many honors when we departed. They lamed us with such things as were necessary. And after three months, we departed in a ship of Alexander, which had wintered in the isles, whose sign was Castor and Pollux. These are the two of the brightest stars in Gemini. And there's a mythological story about them. They were twins. There we have again the parallels. The two seas, the two stars, the parallels. The other twi twins, the two seas, were on earth. Carnal, physical. But these other stars were symbolic of of the heavenly. And so, there's more to reading. But that's all that I intend to read at this time uh, for this message. Because that gives us an awful good idea of, uh, of the story. And now I want to get into some other things. I have lots to do and I gotta, I gotta move. We have a lot, a lot to cover. A lot to cover. I want to read a few verses from the Peace Manifest Bible out of the book of Revelations, which we have now put together and have all but complete and we've sent out several copies to some of the people who who may or may not be interested in investing in a way that would help us um, further this manifest ministry and help finance uh, the printing and the uh, the publishing and the advertising. And so uh, we we um, sent these out, and I'm already getting back uh, sensational reviews from several people. And I thank God for that. Uh, but I want to read a few things. In Revelations 4.1, um, this is King James. Uh, After this I looked, and behold, a door was open in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was, as it were, a trumpet talking with me, which said, Come up hither, I will show thee things which must be hereafter. M.I.V. After this, as the eyes of my mind searched, a door of insight opened to me concerning spiritual things. The first level of insight was the voice as a trumpet calling my mind to attention on my, on my total focus. I was drawn to think like I had never thought before and to reach to a higher than common earth kind of thinking. I began to understand the orders of things and the conditions that will occur and other things and conditions that will follow them. Revelations 4.2 And immediately I was in the Spirit and behold, a throne was set in heaven as the KJV, MIV, 
and immediately I entered a subaddition into spiritual consciousness by exchanging my mental position from a physical connection to a spiritual connection. The throne angels appeared to me, and an ultra-personification appeared to me in the power of M's throneship. Revelations 4.3 King James And he that set to look upon like a jasper and a sardine stone, and there was a rainbow round about the throne, in sight like unto an emerald. MIV And I saw Christ sitting upon a beautiful throne, which finished was like unto a polished jasper stone and a polished sardine stone. Furthermore, I saw a rainbow encircling the throne, its colors shining as emerald. And now we go to Holy Level 1, Holy Level 2, Holy Level 3. And I saw the spirit world in its pictures of glorious fame. For this uh, flame of which, uh, of glorious flame, for this uh, flame of which I speak was not like earthly fire. There were thrones many, as many flames, yet they were flamed out of the throne of one flame. This flame sparkled like diamonds and shone like no shining my earth eyes had ever seen before. Revelations 4.2 I saw sacred pearl, and this is, this is the sixtyfold. I saw a sacred pearl of flame, and the one mind who set filled all the house called glory, and the one's transitions of roaring flame rippled beautiful songs that sung healing, so powerful that just hearing them was instant divine health. Revelations 4, 3, 3, Holy Level, 100-fold Level 3. I saw perfect rest. The silence could wake the dead. Were there any dead to wake? The rest was so full of excitations that thrilling overtures of quickenings followed quickenings, and transformations followed transformations. These changings were full of lapping flames, of joy inexplicable, and full of glories. The throne of fullness was located nowhere, yet it was everywhere. The energy of this place was not a place, was, yet was dimensions of love so beautiful that it caused tears of joy to become crystal prisms from one endlessness of the first domain to another and another in perpetuities of endless forevers without end. And that's just a little dab do that I wanted to put in there for you to have to read, uh, to, for me to read and you to listen to. Now, um, I want, I talked in the mail out how that there were different uh, prophecies and scriptures, and and uh, there was like different endings and different meanings to them. I want to do some readings here. In Psalms 28:10, it says, "The Lord sitteth upon the flood; the Lord sitteth king forever." Now, this was in the 29th chapter, where it was talking about all kinds of difficult situations and and and. Uh, uh, struggles and uh, destructions. And this flood was like a part of it. But the beautiful thing about this that I see as a contrary to the actuality of what was being depicted is that 
This beautiful overture was artistically painted in words. The Lord sitteth upon the flood. The Lord sitteth king forever. And I, I read that and I said, my God, i got to share that Sunday night with the people. There is a flood out there, ladies and gentlemen. There's a flood of anti-God information. There's a flood of negativity. There's a flood of, of, of sin and lust. There's a flood of all kinds of impetitions. And there is deep problems with the world. The world right now is in a deep sense of insecurity. And many kinds of different threats abound. But with all of this flood that is out there, what does the Lord do? Get some kind of huge dam up and say, okay, I'm going to put up a dam. I'm going to build a dam stronger and taller than has ever been built. And I'm going to block this flood. No. The Lord sitteth upon the flood. The Lord sitteth king forever. He inverted it. He turned it into a, a throne. He took something that was flood and destruction. He took something that was damnable to life, threatening to life. And he, he, he sat down upon it. He sat down upon, sat down upon the flood. And the Lord sitteth king forever, the scripture says. And that is the message that God is giving to you and to I and giving to the, the spiritual people who will listen to this word of God. There's a flood out there, but don't get entangled in that flood. Don't go out there thinking that you're going to solve it by your kind of spirituality, your kind of fasting, your kind of sacrifice, your kind of preaching, your kind of warnings, that you are able to warn people better than what the newscasters are doing. <laughs> you sound just like them. Don't get entangled in that. God wants to show you how to sit on top of the flood. <laughs> Invert it so that it becomes your throne. Just like Paul did to the serpent. He inverted that to faith and to a spirit of believing. Those barbarous people, they were just shocked into faith. And it came to them that anyone that could not get sick with such a treacherous thing happening might have the power to heal. And they were right. It was a good and proper idea. And Paul began by, by the Spirit of God to heal these people. And more and more came. And all of those ship-laden things that were lost on the ship. A lot of the food and a lot of various things were replaced by these barbarians because of their thankfulness and their gratitude and their faith and belief. Not only now did Paul have, as the angel promised, to his count, all of these other 275 persons that were on the ship were credited to him. He had done something that would change their life forever. He had gone against the contrary wind. He had inverted it. 
and said, be of good cheer. He had gone against the contrary uh, decisions and, and the contrary determinations. And he stood in the faith of his decision and in the faith of God through Jesus Christ. And now he had all these barbarians that had become believers. And I can assure you that Paul took the opportunity to minister to those people about Jesus, his Lord and God. Wow. Psalms 33. Psalms 30, verse 3. O Lord, thou hast brought up my soul from the grave. Thou hast kept me alive that I should not go down to the pit. This would seem to be a contradiction. He's been brought up, his soul's been brought up from the grave. On the one side, on the other side, this was done so that he would not go down to the pit. But this is the beauty. This is the beauty of the parallel understanding between the spirit and the physical. This is the beauty of, of something happening to you by the spirit that then disallows it to happen to you by the physical uh, uh, realm of negative happenings. So he had already experienced his soul being brought up, his body, this soul here means body, his body being brought up from the grave. He had experienced in the spirit an experience of resurrection. He had experienced an experience of the resurrection body, of the resurrection miracle. He had received it in his mind. He had received it in his spirit. He had received it in the knowledge of his brain and body. And he said, O Lord, thou hast brought up my soul from the grave. Thou hast kept me alive, that I should not go down to the pit. God wants to deal with you in this spirit-to-spirit revelation. God can take you through death in the spirit so that death will not have a sting on you. God can take you through that death and he can bring you up in the spirit while you are still alive, living in your physical body on this earth. And so that you will be able to write like like uh, like uh, David did in Psalms 30, verse 3, O Lord, Thou hast brought me up, my soul, from the grave. Thou hast kept me alive, that I should not go down to the pit. I believe that God wants to keep the people who have a, a spiritual call on their life, who are destinata. I believe that God wants to keep them healthy, and God wants to keep them alive, because you are jewels. You are pearls of great price. You are needed on this planet to balance out in the ratios of God, the thousand to one, to balance out those ratios, to keep things so that cities can be left without destruction. When Abraham said to God, well, I wonder if there's only one or only ten, ten people left. Yes, he said, for the ten ratio, for the ten, I will spare this whole city if there's even ten people. God's wanting you to be one of those standing in the gap, the revelation of one oh, the re- revelation of oh, one, to be able to get into that spirit-to-spirit understanding and be able to stand in the gap 
God's dealing with you. Dealing with you to understand that you can speak to the contrary winds like Jesus did and say, I say unto you, peace, peace be still. But don't get out there on the edge of the boat and say, you damnable devil winds, you cursed, I ask for swords and knives and guns to come against you. That the people rise up in battle and begin to rebel against their government. And rebel and go out there and begin to kill just like anybody else would kill. <laughs> you call yourself a preacher? You call yourself a man of God? That is not the plan of God. Don't get entangled in that kind of stuff. God is speaking to you and saying, stand up there, face those contrary winds that are out there all over the world today creating all these insecurities, and say unto them, Peace, I say, be still. Peace, peace, wonderful peace. Like that song, Far away in the depths of my spirit tonight rolls a melody sweeter than songs. There's peace, ladies and gentlemen. And that's what God is looking for, His people to give that peace, to sound that peace and to sit upon the floods, and to ride those floods, to ride them, and for those floods to become a throne, and become a place where the kingdom of God is on top of it all. Praise the name of God. Okay, another scripture. Another scripture. <clears throat> Isaiah 13.11 I will punish the world for their evil, and the wicked for their iniquity. I will punish the world for their evil, and the wicked for their iniquity. Isaiah 13.11 Isaiah 13.12, the next verse. I will make a man more precious than fine gold, even more than the golden wedge of Ophir. Now, I know some people says, well, there's just going to be so many people dead and so few people alive that anybody that's alive will just be like that. But that really is not what the spiritual interpretation of that is. What is talking about that there is a process happening in those, those winds, those contrary winds that blow, those contrary winds that blow and, and, uh, they, they're evil and they're wicked and they are entangled because of the iniquity of the persons. And God is saying, that is the one side of the mountain, the mountain with the curses. But here's the other side of the mountain, the mountain with the blessings. I will make a man, and this doesn't just mean man, it means a person, a mortal. I will make a mortal more precious than fine gold, even more than the golden wedge of Ophir. What is he talking about? He is talking about, he is talking about that people that are going to be able to stand and face the contrary winds, that are going to be able to ride and set up a throne on the flood. He said they're going to be made as gold. Gold is pure, you know. They're talking about real pure gold here, the gold of Ophir golden wedge like a wedge I like that term like a wedge to get in there and separate 
the contrary winds from the winds of peace, from the God winds of the Holy Spirit that want to come, want to come tonight and fill all of the house of your body where you are sitting. Wow. Wow. So, that's how I see it. That's how I look at this. Yes, there is the negative side. But it takes negative and positive to make electricity. And you have to sometimes use those two energies together. But in the end, out of the socket comes a useful energy that can be used for all kinds of things and even construction. And now I want to read another scripture here. Joel 1-0, Joel 3-10. Beat your plowshares into swords and your pruning hooks into spears. Let the weak say, I am strong. Now this sounds like we're getting ready for war. This sounds like we're getting ready to kill. And it's one of the mountains. It's the mountain of curses. Jesus on the one hand said to the disciples, Do any of you have a sword? And they said, Well, we've got two swords. He said, That's good enough. That's enough. It sounds like he's encouraging weapons and, and war. But that wasn't the point that he was making at that time. And Peter used his temper and cut off the ear of one of the, of either the priests or those that were accompanying the priest. And Jesus says, no, don't. He healed that man's ear. And he said, they that live by the sword shall die by the sword. That message was so important. That message from the lips of Jesus was so important that he wanted the whole world to know that. He wanted those swords to be available because he knew what G, what Paul, or pardon me, what 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 um, uh, Peter would do. He knew what Peter would do, and he knew there was another person who might possibly do the same. That's why he said two will be enough. And he knew that he would make a message of it right there in the Garden of Gethsemane, a message to the world: those that live by the sword will die by the sword. I want you to have peace. Heal your enemy. Why would you heal this man's ears? Your own disciple cut it off. He picked it up and he put it back on. He said, the Lord healed thee. God healed thee. I, the Lord, healed thee. Wow. Now he says, now get a hold of this. And I'll read it to you again. Beat your plows into swords and... Your pruning hooks into spears. Is that what you should do? There's two mountains here. Is that the, the, the route you can go? You have that option. You know, Archibus told, told, uh, Paul, don't go. Don't go to Jerusalem. Don't, don't continue your ministry. If he had listened to Archibus, we would not have Corinthians 1 and 2. We would not have Hebrews. We would not have the book of Timothy's. Ladies and gentlemen, what an important thing it is for people to be able to know and discern what the act is that you should take. Because it sounds like God was saying, beat your plowshares into swords. Well, it was said. It's an option. Is that what you want to do? But look at Isaiah 2.4. Isaiah 2.4, And God shall judge among the nations. 
and shall rebuke many people, and they shall beat their swords into plowshares, and their spears into pruning hooks. And nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war any more. Let me read it again. Isaiah 2, 4, same God, same God saying this, and God shall judge among the nations, and shall rebuke many people, and they shall beat their swords into plowshares, and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war any more. Just the absolute opposite, just the inverted. He gives you this word like he gave the, these these um, uh, tablets, and the first tablets were the blessings. It had to be destroyed because of the of the debauchery of sin, and then they were given the other set of tablets, and and I'm I'm ministering on that in the blogs, and I have more to add to that, and I will to explain the whole thing. But now they ended up with the, with with only two left over by the mercy of God, which were the two commandments of love. Or the two words of love. And they're dealing now with all these curses. Curses that, if you, some of these things, if you just do, you, if you say the wrong thing to your mother and father according to the, the law of the curse, they'll stone you to death. And that really wouldn't be the heart of any true mother or father, no matter what their son did or their daughter did. Jesus came and says, this law is not fulfilled, it's not finished. You may have think that it was finished by those two tablets, but this is the other set of tablets. I've come to fulfill that. And Moses has said to you, you know, you know, hate your enemy. But I say to you, that all belongs to this second set of tablets. But the first set of tablets, it, it, it says, love, love your enemy enemy as you and love love your neighbor not just your neighbor but love your enemy too wow and so this is an inversion from Joel 3.10 make swords to Isaiah 2.4 destroy your swords and make make implements to to plant farming and to to, to do to do a, a living with wow can you see how to handle these contrary winds. In Isaiah 10.5 it says, O Assyria, the rod of mine anger, and the staff in my displeasure. Isaiah 10.24 says, O my people that dwell in Zion, be not afraid of Assyria, be not afraid of the Assyrians. He shall smite thee with a rod, and lift up his staff against you after the manner of Egypt. But remember how you came out of Egypt, the most of you lived, there were some tough things you went through, but you lived. Isaiah 10, 25-26 But this anger and scourge will not last, but for a little while. Isaiah 10, 27 And it shall come to pass in that day that the Assyrian burden shall be taken away from off your shoulders and his yoke from off your neck. And the yoke shall be destroyed because of the anointing. Ladies and gentlemen, where is the anointing? The Lord is saying, you're going to have some of these 
yokes and some of these burdens and some of these bondages that are going to happen because of things in the the governments and things in the traffic and changes of nations. But he said, it's only going to last for a while. And he says, I'm going to tell you why it's only going to last for a while. It's only going to last for a while to you people who are destinatas, for you people who I have anointed. And because of that anointing, all of a sudden, like the sound of a mighty rushing wind, the yokes will fall off. The burdens will unload. Ladies and gentlemen, the contrary wind is blowing. And on this other side, in the mouth of every one of you is the capability to prophesy unto the, unto the dry bones, to prophesy and to say to the winds of God, to the God winds, go forth and calm these contrary winds. Peace, peace be still. Oh, bless the name of God. Well, I have here in my notes enough message to last for another hour at least. But I think that wisdom says, I still have Gentile to do, so I think wisdom says I should stop. But let me tell you just a little bit about this. Next week we will have a contrary winds number two, in which we will then finish the rest of this story. And let me tell you what this was about. At some time, not too awful long ago, I allowed for a certain amount of people that um, signed in on blogs uh, to have a special mailing of the beta, uh, of the alpha, pardon me, of the alpha, the beta, and the gamma prophecies. They are just absolutely sensational. They are sensational. And they give a lot of information and prophecy about things that are coming on the world, things that are going to happen in the, in the, in the future. And in addition to that, there is a, a, a brand new a, a gamma prophecy that has never been sent out and has never been read by anyone but myself. And I'm going to uh, also um, read next week, in addition to the Alpha Beta and Gamma prophecies that were mailed out that some of you people have never received. I'm going to read those so that they can go down on print and those then can be made available to all the people that are interested. And along with that, I'm going to also uh, reveal this sensational, absolutely incredible new uh, Gamma prophecy uh, that I have. And I'm going to read it. And you are going to be sensationalized. I just thank God that he is allowing us to understand that we are to take power over the forces that are dark. Now, one of the ways that we want to do that is we want to increase the capability of the uh, generative touch, which is what we call, in abbreviated form, Jin Tao. And there are so many people out there suffering. Just this last week, I did Jin Tao on a gentleman who has uh, been in a sort of um, paralyzed condition from a, a major stroke. And um, 
I told the gentleman who's keeping him and caring for him, I said, I believe this man's going to be totally revived and, uh, and, uh, because he was just, he was just wasting away and, and having less and less capability to make any kind of communication. And I've been talking to him these last several days and he says every day, every day that is going by, he, he is getting more alert. He is understanding more of what I am saying to him. Uh, he says he tried to talk uh, the other day. I just know it's only a matter of time before that total healing is going to happen. Right now I'm working on uh, the total creation for the um, signal and this messaging of Gentile uh, and the development of being able to transfer uh, the proper kind of scaffolding upon which can be planted uh, the stem cells for the healing of almost any kind of disease or problem that anyone has, including uh, comatose and parable uh, and perilous and all kinds of problems. I seek for your prayer and your help. Right now, I want to strengthen people because I feel there are people that are very weary and they need strength. And I want you now to to picture in your mind, I've done this once before, that my hands are coming through an energized form, coming through the needle's eye, coming through this signal as you're listening to my voice. And they're coming and they're placing upon your shoulders. And as I am placing my hands upon your shoulders, I am beginning to now speak into your mind to strengthen you. Hypothalamus to the pituitary, pituitary to hypothalamus to thyroid, to the lymphatic gland. Begin to send signals to the hormones. Bring forth from the hormones those, those substances that will begin to strengthen the body. Will begin to eliminate from the body those various kind of chemistries and various kinds of, of elements that are putting the body into a, a state of, of being weary and tired, worn out, and not having stamina. Hypothalamus to the pituitary, pituitary, hypothalamus to the thyroid, to the lymphatic gland. Begin to purify the blood. With all of your entire whole system, begin to purify the blood, taking out all of the toxins. Begin to accelerate this process so that there is an instantaneous process. Hypothalamus pituitary, pituitary, hypothalamus thyroid, to the network of neurons. Now to begin to flow throughout the entire hemispheres and the, and the body and begin to work its way down uh, the, the spinal cord and spread out at the muscle base uh, of the neck and the nerve system into the body and begin to go into the body to strengthen the body, to, to give health and nourishment to the body. Let this be, let this be, let this be. May God bless you and keep you. We love you. We love you. And we will never change our mind. 